Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insure tech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Henri from Akinova. Um, I was going to say good morning. Um, it is just into the afternoon, but I'll say good morning anyway, because that's when we release. So uh, good morning, Henri. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. Thank you for having me today, Alex. Not at all. No, thank you very much for being a guest. Um, so uh, obviously you and I have spoken before, um, but for the people who are not aware what Akinomi do or, or, or what, what's the kind of purpose of the business, it'd be really great if you could do us a, a brief intro. You bet, Matt. Thank you. Uh, Akinova is a marketplace. Uh, it's neutral. It's digital. Uh, it's a global framework to transfer rates between capital markets and, and insurance. Uh, and everybody's welcomed on it. So we typically work uh, on behalf of the insured and, and their broker mm. to find them new capacity. Uh, but we're also creating with our partners new products to enable uh, risk transfer to happen at scale between, well, the insurance space and the capital market space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about the term marketplace, and thank you for that. And and. Uh, and you touched on it a little bit there, but I wonder if you might go a little bit deeper on, on how specifically um, you, you you tackled that kind of marketplace. How does it work in practical terms, you know, creating new products? How does that work? And, and, and yeah, how does it work in practical sense? So, look, a, a marketplace has to be uh, an environment which, which has a social fabric. So um, if you are a broker or the client of the broker, so the insured, and you look for capacity for a particular trade, you'll need to first create a teaser. Uh, we call that a trade opportunity deck. Mm-hmm. And the teaser is a way to prepare the deal room, which we also have, uh, to be able to do that risk transfer. Um, so teaser is a way to say, hey, I've got a risk. This is what it looks like, or a book of risk, or a binder, or whatever it might be. Um, and to put it in, into a succinct way uh, and translate it into words that uh, whether you're an insurer, reinsurer, or a capital markets investor, you would understand what it means. Mm-hmm. So if you use some uh, strange words like things which would be very clear in insurance, like reinstatement or premium, whatever it is, it's the goal is to translate it into terms that an investor would say, I know minimum I could lose that much, maximum I could make that much money. On average, I'd probably make about this much mm-hmm. and be able to have something that's attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very special special risk or something that makes you know a difference to the broker and their client. Mm-hmm. It works the other way around as well. So if you are an investor and you look for a particular type of set of trades uh, and you have an appetite, I don't know, between 5 and 15% internal rate return, whatever it might be, you can also say, hey, I've got capital to this amount to deploy against trade. What, what's, what's out there? And 
And the fabric of the marketplace is to make that as easy as possible electronically, but without forgetting the social fabric. So we have a chat, we have news, we have analytics, which allows people to think what it's worth, also to be in a regulated way, to be able to have an audit trail of what was being said, uh, and to understand you know, where are the contracts at and whether or not there is a further iteration before you can go and place it on marketplace to bind. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's, um, I think the social element, element and how strong those social elements um, are underplayed a little bit. When we talk about marketplaces, I think we talk about kind of electronic trading of risk. And in many respects, we sort of take the people out of the equation in the, in the conversation rather than kind of the practical sense. But in a practical sense, one would imagine that a large part of the success of getting a business like this off the ground is you know, building relationships in, in, in real time and, in, in, you know, for, for you and the team, um, you know, is, is that a large part of the role of the, of, the, of the business and the team is actually kind of that education piece, that kind of networking piece in, you know, kind of an offline capacity as much as anything else? I think it's critical. Um, the best marketplaces are places where the stuff that is really just drudgery you know the admin the settlement or whatever it might be mm -hmm. is being done automatically mm -hmm. but where you can supplement the human beings uh, ability to say hey i like this or i don't like that trade uh and to be able to give you a richer context within which to make those decisions but not remove the person away you know when you design an algo and you do some algorithmic trading it's still designed by someone and that person tweaks the program the whole day long to optimize things to you know whatever it might be we're miles away from that in in insurance and day-to-day -day risk um so even if we were there there's still a human being making decisions somewhere um you, you could have a programmer she's there bashing away on the computer changing the algos it's still a human being making a decision right so the best marketplaces, and you can see it, um, you know, electronic or otherwise, are where the interaction allows you to have as many interactions as possible, as quickly as possible with as many market participants, but where ultimately there will be someone making a decision and you've removed all the drudgery of all the other stuff that needs to be happening, like 15 email exchanges to have a contract. Nobody knows which uh, version it is. And then you're there scratching your head. Your legal team's worked on version two, everybody's on version four, and then you burn time, etc. All of that stuff should be in the bin of history to enable human beings to make decisions. So like, for instance, you and I could decide on the trade. Why? Because we have the information at our fingertips. Why? Because you can trace who said what and you can understand the history of the, or maybe the insured has a certain type of risk and it hasn't changed really that much. A lot of the, the work in insurance is to recast what was said before and retype it and re-re-retype it, which is nuts. I mean, it is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've, we've talked before on this podcast about, usually in the context of talking about artificial intelligence and kind of removing of admin from that point of view, but just... You know, any innovation, um, I think when when you look at it through a negative lens is is looking at kind of replacing people and replacing um, 
individuals or, 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 or specific professions. And, and obviously I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But I think more than anything, from someone that, you know, my, my role is talent and people and, and people don't move because people do move for money, but most of the time they move because they're unfulfilled. And, and there's a lot of unfulfilling jobs out there which are simply re-repeating work that's already been done, as you just said, you know, a, a, you know, or that's an element of someone's role. So if we can remove those kind of bits of the puzzle or, or bits of business, um, then I think people have more rewarding jobs and I think that leads to more creativity. And then that's that only is better for every industry, but particularly, I think, in the insurance industry. Look, I think it's essential, right? So if you are there the whole day long doing something for the fifth time that you know has been done at least 20 times before you're in the same chain, and then you see five times the same email talking about things with slightly variance thing, and each time you have to reek in, I mean, there's only so much boredom you can go with. Um, and, and before you start to decide, I mean, look, I, I need to do something else here, right? Yeah. So, and to your point, so, so giving you a market, good marketplace gives you deal flow. So you can see lots of things. It gives you information at the time when you need it, not five months before or five months afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it allows you as a person to make decisions mm -hmm. and to then all the other stuff to make it more automated. That takes time to get there. Uh, and it does it in a way that's regulated so people know what are the rules, you know, when they are, you're going to buy or sell mm -hmm. uh, and what are the service level agreements. And that's why we create our, our brand new regulatory framework. I mean, it's, it's now uh, we, we received that um, uh, at the end of January this year. So it's not quite new, but it's still very new. Um, and if you have all these components, then you have vibrancy. And vibrancy means that people focus on making decisions as opposed to stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> Removing stuff. I was just, every, as you were talking, all I was thinking about was um, the amount of times I have to write a proposal. And, and, and almost always I'm writing pretty much the same stuff. And obviously I've got forms for that. And, you know, realistically, the question is, do we want to do business together? Yes. Um, am I the person you want to go in my world to go and help you find find an individual? Yes, but so often we spend we spend you know that's a very quick conversation, and then the kind of administrative element of it takes you know such a stretch amount of time. And um, yeah, I, I, it, it's such a such an inherent problem in the way that we do business because I think there's been lots of jobs created in that. So I think you know talking about kind of obsolution and moving roles towards it there's an obvious risk with with something um like a marketplace and when you're reducing friction between um buyers and sellers essentially you know particularly for the broker because the broker is that kind of that, that that midpoint um it's a quite inflammatory comment and i know the answer is going to be no to this i suppose, I suppose to expand this out it's like do marketplaces risk making the broker obsolete um and if they don't, you know, what, what's the opportunity um, and how can they best take advantage of the opportunity is probably a kinder way of saying the same question, I think. Look, marketplaces which aim to cut the advisory in whatever form that comes are I'll advise if I can put it like this, particularly if you deal in risk. Mm -hmm. So to your question about the broker, we set out from the word go when we started and founded uh, Akinova to be the broker's friend. Mm -hmm. So 
then the question is for what and how, right? Otherwise, you're there thinking, okay, well, so it's a nice statement, but uh, all the broker community will say, yeah, but you still try and cut me out. So th the point is that the broker is the risk advisors to the clients. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't see that changing. Typically, you want to talk to someone to actually say, hey, what, what do you think of this thing? And how should I think of that? And so what does that mean in terms of the evolution of the broker? I mean, bro the broking industry in insurance has changed over decades in an immense way already, right? So brokers are moving in an environment where there are more analytics and more information available to them and their clients. Brokers are moving into an environment where they can offer different ways for the, the clients to think of their contingent capital stack, mm -hmm. which insurance is, it's a, it's a capital that's available in the event something bad happens. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are many different sources of that. I mean, you could have a banking facility, you could have an insurance contract, you could have your, your own captive, you know, etc. Um, and so for as long as the broker continues to be that uh, source of advice to the risk managers, I can't see them going anywhere, no. nor, nor should they. So then the question is the other way around. It comes to us, which is what can we do for the brokers and what can we do for the clients, whether they are buy or sell or risk, which adds value to what they do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without taking them out of the equation. And we're back to you know the question that you had earlier, which is what can we do as a marketplace to help the clients, the brokers, is to bring the data and analytics that they would need. Mm -hmm. So the buyer and the seller and the advisors can say, hey, this, this is one way of looking at what it's worth, but are there many other ways of doing that, mm -hmm. right? So if you're a buyer, seller and the advisor, and you only, uh, let's say you, you're placing a risk, so, so you have an insurer and the broker saying, hey, we think it's worth this. Well, the buyer of that will have their own view. It's called their own underwriter. They might have their own models. Uh, so that's two sources. But what if they could have a third source? Now, with a third source, you can start to have maybe a better price, maybe a different way. Um, uh, and I didn't say cheaper, but a better cover. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, because you also need to think of what's in it for the uh, the underwriters and the capacity. If all they have is because they auctioned the whole day long, that eventually there's no profit to be had. Everybody's going to go. So it's about finding the right cover at the right price mm -hmm. with the right advisory for the clients and the, and the capacity providers or the underwriter to know exactly what they've subscribed to. Mm -hmm. And then discovering the price that is the right price. I didn't say cheap. I said the right price for that transaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a tendency to sort of lazily sort of look at marketplaces and go that it's a drive towards zero, and 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 I and I and I think that's not the case. It's just for me, it's always been transparency of information, um, and you know the broker role. I think it got lost along the way. I think at some point it got a little bit lost that it was only about kind of being able to place risk and and, and find provision for that risk. Um, but actually, I think, you know, businesses like yours kind of really highlight that, no, that the value adds to the insured or, or, or the carrier, depending on the insurance or reinsurance, will be... The, the the advice the, the the advisory part of being a broker that 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 that's the value add and that's where that's that's where the role is important um 
and in many respects it allows them to kind of focus on that and refocus on that um, particularly when you're adding like you say it's a third source of information it's additional data um, and I and I because we're seeing it now from a from a talent perspective one thing that you know you, you can't avoid seeing is that the the caliber of individuals and and the sort of qualification of, of people going into risk advisory type roles is is, is changing and, and what those people look like is changing um uh, slowly but surely um so that, that's interesting um to pick up your point on price though and, and you know this sort of drive towards zero thing that i think people fear yeah what what effect do you think marketplaces will have on pricing in the long term um and you know, or are we seeing it already? I, I think, look, I, I think by the very nature of the industry and its connectivity to capital, uh, because it needs capital, it's yes. quite a capital intensive uh, industry. It, it is already worldwide into various sources of capital. Mm-hmm. I think um, for highly standardized risks, uh, having a marketplace where, I mean, we see it, for instance, this year, the retro market is pretty tight, mm-hmm. which means that there's not enough capacity coming in. Um, so having the right access to the right capital is going to be super important. And and, and marketplaces can help. As a matter of fact, I would say the best marketplaces increase the size of the market. So it's, it's uh, just to take you, it's in the morning. So let's assume that we're around lunchtime. Yeah, and uh, I, I always like to have the analogy of what's the business case for a marketplace. Well, let's think of it uh, like a cake. So, what's the business cake? Best marketplaces significantly increase the overall size of the market. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at uh, even ten thousand years ago when you had the first marketplaces of any significant, uh, well, actually, uh, probably even that in small villages in crossings where people were coming in and and buying and selling goods to discover prices means you can have a lot more of the commodity that's basically distributed now what does that mean for insurance it doesn't necessarily mean just finding more capital for the existing risks mm-hmm. but it means for the insurance to discover new risks that it can underwrite and to discover the price for those too and if you think about, you know, one of the big battles for the industry over the last 30 to 40 years as a proportion of GDP, because it is largely focused on physical assets or the tangible stuff, it has focused on that, fair enough. And it does write a few, you know, DNO, you know, PI, et cetera, a, a few intangible risks, but not really at scale, contingent business interruptions, cyber, it is trying to, to go in that space mm-hmm. and discovering that uh, it, it's a little bit more difficult. So a good marketplace in my book will allow us to be able to underwrite intangibles. And that's a massive new business cake to go after. Mm-hmm. So when you have that, then you have all the components, the underwriter, the insurance, capital markets, the brokers, the you know, actuaries, etc. There's a lot more to go after. And, and that's the way we should think of a good marketplace. It really grows the way you can go and address the, the clients and be able to do what societally insurance is there for, which is to provide contingent capital for a myriad of, uh, of things. Uh, in a way that is capable of, of deriving premiums so that the industry is also sustainable. Mm. Yeah, no, I love that. I love, I love analogy with food. I'm happy. Uh, let's have a bigger cake. But 
No, absolutely. And, and I and I see that, um, you know, I see it in my own world uh, as well. There's kind of an increase in kind of marketplace type solutions, talent. And, and, we, and all I see that is that I've got a great pull to pull on and it allows me to operate on an international basis, which we haven't seen before. Um, and I think to some extent um, you kind of have answered a little bit of my question, but, you know, I wanted to ask you about kind of attitudes and, and kind of, uh, how welcomed you've been by the insurance community. Um, has it changed over time? Because, you know, obviously not the only marketplace type solution in, in, in out there. Um, there's obviously more kind of acceptance and understanding of these. Um, is there more kind of willingness to engage with these from the sort of incumbent industry um, now than there was sort of when you started the business? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not because of COVID-19, it's because um, the, the early doors, uh, the early days of InsureTech was, right, I'll poke you in the eye, you know, little guy and, or, you know, little lady, and I'm going to take over the world and off I go. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more realization that uh, to transform an industry of this scale, to grow it and to make it a work at scale, you have to work with the existing ecosystem, no mm -hmm. debate. Mm -hmm. So when you start to think of the ecosystem and you think about well, what, what does that mean? That means that you are able to unlock new things mm -hmm. back to the business case and the business cake, right? And so uh, there is a desire from the large corporates and the large players, the large incumbents to, to work with the, uh, the newcomers. Now, the question is for what? And the question therefore is how? Um, for the newcomer, you need to re realize that it's a regulated industry. So you can't do pretty much anything you want. You need to think about what regulation means and, and how therefore you can help people within the framework what's available or create your own stuff, create your own regulations with the relevant uh, regulators. Um, once you understand that, then the question is, what value can you really add? And there, there's a lot of iterations. Mm -hmm. So um, there was a debate just uh, about two, three months after COVID-19, so the pandemic started, where right now we're a digital industry because we can do, you know, we, we're working from home now. Uh, okay, now we use, you know, some video conferencing capabilities where well, it used to be a telephone before. That is not exactly have gone digital. Digital means you have the right flow with the right information, with the right eyeballs to make decision at the right time, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, people are moving that direction. Now, there are different uh, people who will look at, okay, is it going to help my bonus over the next one month? Is it going to help my bonus of the next quarter? Mm -hmm. Or is it something that I should do because in three years' time, I'm, I'm going to position myself? If you'd asked me three, two, three years ago, it would have been, how can you help me now? Now there's a healthy uh, balance between, can you help me now? Mm -hmm. And I need to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a big change. And it's uh, to me, it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I, I think that's something I, you know I'm I'm really cognizant of because I've been quite I don't want to say critical um, because that's probably putting it too, too strongly, but I've always been aware of the kind of um, challenge for particularly 
listed companies, um, you know, share, shareholder-owned companies or, or led companies. Because if you're if you're a leader of one of those businesses, it's very difficult for you to take a long-term decision, which requires a huge amount of investment. Let's say you want to, you know, really embrace insurance technology within your kind of large carrier or, or large broking house, because you're rewarded on the kind of a much shorter time frame. Um, you know, what's been the performance this year? What can the dividend be? Um, so it's very difficult for you to kind of justify from a selfish perspective and, and you know, human beings, depending on the literature you like to embrace, but with a selfish organism. So it's, it's you know, you're, you're always going to go after those interests. But, but we are also seeing enough noise. And I think, you know, insurance is an industry, uh, I've worked off, across a few industries, but insurance is definitely an industry that moves together. When, once it gets the momentum, it moves together and it, and it has to by its nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems there's enough sort of group momentum now that even the investors can't be unaware of it. Um, uh, and that's moving. Um, do, do you... Um, do you think insurance is quite unique in its kind of integration? And, and has that kind of got some kind of unique challenges with, with that? Because, you know, if you think about, I know subscription markets are only a part of it, but for example, just taking subscription markets, there's a unique level of kind of integration between competing businesses, theoretically. Um, does that have some unique challenges to sort of making something like this work? Look, I mean, it's the same in most industries when you have very large numbers mm-hmm. it's called competition mm-hmm. oh, i can't remember who said it but it, you're going to cooperate on certain things you're going to compete on some other things mm-hmm. but the reality is you know we're all attached to the hips right yeah. so you have to compete that's the right thing for business and the right thing for the clients uh, but you also know that the size of the investments and the size of the capital movement means that you're going to have to cooperate on certain things right mm-hmm. so um, and, and there lies, I think, the, the attractiveness uh, of uh, where we are with insurance technology. Uh, the first wave of insurance technology actually happened even before Institute Tech 1.0 was coined, was starting to be some of the, uh, the broker automation software platform, mm-hmm. uh, some of the marketing automation platforms, you know, Rebus in the past, uh, exchanging, and a whole bunch of other, you know, technology vendors and some of the big uh, consulting firms as well. Mm-hmm. Then InsureTech 1.0 came up and largely it's been about onboarding clients better. Yeah. So the consumers, so B2C, better apps, better integration, better way of giving you a sense of, hey, this is exciting. You buy this thing so easy. Um, 2.0 has been to start to think about, well, how do we think of data and the analytics to power that? And some of the the platform that's required to be doing a proper full stack, uh, you know, policy management claims and everything else. And where we are now is a play where really the big money is, which is all the back end Mm-hmm. integration, that price discovery, all these various things and, and, and uh, the capital efficiency that's associated with it. So w- when you think about that progression, you start to see that we're addressing the, the bigger challenges. The, of course, then the complication is now you knee deep in regulations. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're going to have to work with the big carriers and the big capital allocators and the big clients and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and 
what's exciting there is that uh, in three, four, five, I mean, everybody will call about marketplace. Is it a marketplace to have your policies listed for the existing incumbent? Is it a marketplace to do some secondary trade of, uh, of insurance link securities? Is it anything in between? And we've taken the view that we have to be able to do insurance, reinsurance and capital markets, insurance link securities, and be regulated to do that uh, where capital from 42 countries makes insurance risk. And then from that, then you have to build. So I, I think really the, you, you know, if you look at the uh, the market and where it's going next, it's a place where, yes, there's some competition and yes, there will be some uh, let's say transport layer of information that allows whether it be your proprietary brokerage portal or uh, insurer or reinsurer uh, portal, it allows all of those pieces of information to find um, the right environment to actually discover something that makes sense to the buyer and the seller of that risk and to the advisors. That's really what we're building. So it does take time and you have to work with the various market participants. There are a few tricks that you can have to accelerate that, of course. And of course, we're pushing that quite hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I suppose you, you've probably answered partially my, my question that I wanted to speak to you about was about the kind of, do you think, I think the industry, I think all industries want kind of one solution. Um, obviously, the insure tech business doesn't want one solution because there's few people vying for that spot, right? But um I think I think the insurance market would almost like one solution provider for that kind of marketplace to environment. But how do you see that panning out? Do you see there being um, specific markets, uh, marketplaces for diff- different things? Will they integration? Will there be this um, you know uh, competition? Um, or is is there a possibility where there, there's a drift towards one kind of marketplace solution for which owns the the kind of roads or the the roadmap for you know multiple points in the industry? Look, I, I don't think there will be only one marketplace. Um, if you look at the nearest uh, part of the financial industry, I mean, we're part of the financial industry, financial services industry, um, you know, marketplaces and exchanges. So in the financial sector, there are a few of them. So I don't think it will be one for everything because you need competition. Now, then the question is, what integration can the various capital allocator and the buyers and the advisors, what can they have as connectivity? And it's been somewhat amusing because I've been uh, writing some software way back um, to when I had hair at the time. And I was there thinking, right, you know, let's do some connectivity in existing platforms. So you're talking about uh, 80s and 90s here. And uh, yeah, it was called APIs at the time, you know, application programming interface. So, and now it's the big thing, right? Everybody wants to have an API for this, API for that. There are security issues associated with that, of course. But what you need to have, again, coming back to the good marketplace, a good marketplace, yes, it has environments within which you can find that deal flow with the information which allows you know, human beings to make decisions. Um, but it also needs to be connected. And uh, if you have a good marketplace, so th- think, for instance, of some of the re- recent uh, online auctions of various things, uh, whether it be digital assets, whether it be some of the paintings recently or otherwise, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yes, there is an auction environment, 
but there are telephones, there are apps, and the apps themselves are connected to other apps. Mm. And it's coming back to that ecosystem. So I think the best marketplace will be not just the one venue where you turn up and you have a prize, but it's highly networked to other environments which allow to do the prize discovery, allows to do the broker advice to their clients, but allows also the capital markets cap raiser to their client to actually say which trade they should allocate capital to or which insurance or reinsurance mm -hmm. and, and have that sense of community and ecosystem. Mm -hmm. A marketplace where you just turn up and you just uh, have one place where you're going to auction your goods in a physical sense, that's kind of very 20th century and before. Yeah. Right. So, so I think the the ability to connect securely in what is known in the industry in a trustless way. So you, you, you assume that it's not trustworthy and you have the right security environment to be able to make sure that uh, if anything is anyone is tampering with anything, you'll know and be able to network that to then deliver these three functionalities that I talked about earlier, deal flow, information, making decisions, then you've got it. That takes time because then the tech is more complicated. There's a hell of a lot more, you know, uh, security. Yes, you used to distribute, you know, what people were very excited about three years ago in a distributed ledger, but for a very different reason, right? And so you have integration there and then you can do the price discovery, but it's far more distributed. And the tech enables us to do that. And that's the great new thing about it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like we, we, we sort of, the more we digitize, the, the more, and the more I hear you explain it, the more kind of personable it really is. You know, it is about co -corp, you know, cooperation and, and, and it creating that, coming back to how you started this podcast, you know, creating a kind of a social dynamic. It's much more social than we kind of um, give it credit for. Um, something I meant to ask you earlier, and I apologize because I'm sort of slightly kind of backtracking a little bit. I wanted to talk about new uh, capital coming to the market um and um you know one of the, the sort of uh, things i was thinking about as we were talking about your cake analogy making a bigger cake um so we we've seen a lot of kind of things in the financial markets where we've created kind of more investors because we've made it more accessible um uh, just taking things like cryptocurrency so coinbase it's very easy or robin hood um uh, in the us you can obviously use that as a sort of personal investor um, some of the negative elements of that have been the kind of you've got unsophisticated investors and obviously in, in quite dramatically losing their money. Now, obviously, we're talking about sophisticated investors, but they're not necessarily kind of cognizant of the kind of reinsurance insurance market you might be working on. How do you kind of go about educating new investors in the insurance sector? Is that a role that you consider yourselves to play or? Are you simply providing the kind of platform for, for them to do that if they if they kind of want to come and play in that space? Look, I think it's important to give for marketplaces to give platforms, uh, a platform for those who are able to educate, mm -hmm. um, to therefore educate the investment community. Mm -hmm. uh, in a way, actually, it's very good because if you are able to explain what you do and the type of risk that you take on to people who are not in your industry, you're probably really good at uh, doing what you do. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a bit like, uh, you know, if you can explain to 
uh, I wouldn't say child, but let's assume that were the case, what you do, and you can explain it in a succinct way where they can think about uh, and ask with the right questions, then you are probably quite good at what you do. So I think the role of a marketplace is to enable the that ecosystem again to have that discourse as to what it's worth, how does it work. Mm -hmm. So you you will start to see more webinar from us. We've we've already done in a more private way what we call the Ask the Expert events, where we organise a private dinner. Uh, it's been virtual for the last uh, maybe two years now, uh, where we talk about one particular topic. And uh, we have uh, non-competing people on the same uh, on the same uh, uh, as the expert event mm -hmm. to tease out what are some of the core issues. And in particular, it's one hour, so we're not going to solve a lot of things in one hour. But what's the what's the one takeaway that we have that we could all do? Mm -hmm. um, I think there is now more of a requirement to be able to explain risk in a different way. So if you think about the four areas where we're active, climate, climate var variability, natural catastrophe is one. The second one, mortgage insurance. The third one, credit insurance. And the fourth one being intangible in general, which has, of course, cyber, uh, contingent business interruption, et cetera, in there. So they are kind of our four pillars. We mm -hmm. don't call them lines of business because they're a bit broader than that. If you think about all of those, they need either more diversification of capital. Uh, so that could be mortgage, for instance. They need more information to be able to take the right information on credit. So you look at our supply chains around the, uh, the, the, the world now and the way you know, risks are, are moving through the supply chain globally uh, is just immense. Um, so more information. If you think about intangibles, you just need to have the right data. Mm. And there are loads of data out there, but they're not organized in a way that makes sense uh, to the right individual yet for the right capital to come in. And if you lo look at natural catastrophe, I mean, if you think about a more resilient world, uh, when a lot of the big uh, insurers and reinsurers are trying to limit their exposure in uh, on their cat books, which I understand, right? Um, then you need to have a much broader approach to be able to bring the right capital for those insurers and reinsurers to be able to on the right risk and and so and and that's how you know insurance link security started in the 90s now if you ask any insurer or reinsurer they're going to tell you i need it now the question is what does that do to pricing and what type of risk are you therefore able to on the right and if you look at historically when insurance has continue to grow its footprint and its profitability, it's when it's gone out to underwrite new risks. And if you look over the last 15 to 20 years, it's largely been able to underwrite the existing risks. And guess what? Then competition goes in, efficiency goes in, and you forget that business is not just about doing things right, but it's also about doing the right things. So mm -hmm. it's efficiency versus effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And effectiveness say, hey, there's a brand new risk that I can underwrite profitably over there and I've got the data. And the, the major challenge is that all these risks are becoming far more dynamic than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. And that's why we created Akinova as an electronic venue between capital markets and insurance that's regulated, digital, that are all of that, mm -hmm. is because you then need to be able to be far more responsive. And doing 15 emails with uh, 25 meetings and 52 uh, you know, contract turns can be done faster and better. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said there because 
the, the, the sort of conclusion on that is that it is particularly, you know, talking about the uh, headline title of the podcast, which is, you know, leadership and, and, and really we focus on innovation is that really the conclusion you lead is that innovation is an essential part of business because if it's, if you're only dealing with BAU, um, then you are constantly looking at new efficiencies and then efficiencies essentially leads to kind of pricing having to go down because you'll get new entrants it'll become more efficient it will drop profitability so unless you're looking at new areas and new markets you, you, you're not growing um and so i i love the conclusion being that it's an essential part of business which i agree with um i'm really conscious of time so i i've got i've got I've always got selfishly throw things in around teams and talent and um, building teams because that's that's my uh, 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 reason for being. And um, you, you've got a really impressive team at Akinova, um, got some really particularly high profile advisors. I, I wanted to ask you a two part question, which is, is how did how did the team come together? Because um, I'm always intrigued about how much is own network. Did you use some external kind of headhunting businesses? You know, how did you engage with that? And um, how important was building that sort of team, particularly to this kind of marketplace type solution? You know, does it, does it because I would see it as essential to getting that adoption you need. Look, um, all of the above. So, you, <laughs> you, you know, uh, you, I'm going to use my own network and people that I know who know other people for sure. Mm, of course. Uh, but it, there's, that only goes so far, right? So, um, the other thing that I would say to anybody who's doing anything, never it's never mind it's marketplace or otherwise, start for what do you what do you think are the portfolio of competencies you need to help you steer your your organization, your business, whatever it might be, to get to the end goal. So you need to have a a uh, what's the end point that you're trying to achieve. And for us, it was we need to have some strong technology input with technology business. We need to understand the space in capital markets and insurance. So, uh, and and they are all in the same industry and in, uh, financial services, and yet they speak very different business dictionaries, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they also have different uh, regulation frameworks. They all talk about the same thing: how likely is something bad going to happen? So you could lose your your uh, loan if you are in the banking uh, industry. Never mind having the um, so the principal basically. Uh, never mind having the interest back in insurances how likely is this risk going to crystallize mm. um but they, and and then the other one is the credit risk am i going to get paid right so in essence it's um same business dictionary but different parts of the industry so we needed tech we needed insurance we needed capital markets mm -hmm. and we need expertise in growth and so you start from, think of it like a, a purse or wallet where you have a set of banknotes or a set of tickets to your destination. Mm -hmm. And then you work right to left. Right to left planning is highly underrated. It doesn't mean that it always works, but you know, right to left. You say, by that year, that's what I want to do. Okay. Then you go back and you say, you network a lot. I would always encourage anybody in business, but particularly if you're building a business, network a lot, go to a lot of events, have lots of conversations like this, which can connect you to other people. Understand what makes other people tick. And then um, if you have an opportunity, create yourself a little advisory board. The advisory board might cost you a little bit on equity or whatever it might be. It will cost you a bit of time, so opportunity cost. Um, but it's a way to really to test out with people. Do, do you like them? Do they like you? How do they work? 
and then it can lead to you having the right people on the board or otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, but it, what it allows you to do is to really uh, have people that you can call or who can call you for genuinely things to happen. So here's the thing. If you are a growing business, you can only entertain so many what I would call coffee and biscuits conversations. So you feel slightly warm, slightly wet, but nothing happens. <laughs> what you do want to get, Alex, is if I had the call with that person, whether they're on my advisory board or not, would they be able to help me because I add value to them, but they can connect me to the right person to make the right outcome. And if you are outcome oriented, then you can start to think about who you want on your team, because now you'll have the portfolio of competencies, what I was talking about, the type of skill set you want to get. You'll see those who are action oriented and in particular outcome oriented. Now you've got your team. And so how did it work? At the start, I had two friends, one who is in the growth area uh, and the other one is capital markets, but insurance through another friend and they became the first advisory board members. And then from there, we started to construct, talk to other people, and then we are where we are today. And for a marketplace, I can tell you, you need that and some more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jill, that's brilliant advice. And um, I think particularly the networking piece as well, I, I think it's massively underplayed. And um, I, there's a podcast that's gone out to, today, um, which, uh, yeah, was a venture capital um, contact of mine, his good friend, um, Adam at NFP. And uh, we talked about, he's almost adopted a new line of questioning when he looks at the investments, because it's talking about how are you going to put your team together? We talk a lot about the, the gaps in your business. And, and like you say, who do you need to get to you to the point that you want to be at? Um, and, they, and that's talked about in the investor deck. But quite often, what's not talked about is how you're going to get that team together. Um, and we all know good people and we want to bring them in. Um, but it, it's like, where are the additional gaps and how do you get them? And, um, and he asked me and I just went network, network, network. I mean, it's, it's all it is. Um, obviously, the benefit of someone like myself is just that, that my job is 99% is of the time networking. So you can outsource that networking, but you've got to do it. So you either you're paying someone to do it on your behalf or you're doing it yourself. But I think if you can network and then you make that personal connection, um, yeah, it's really super valuable. Um, but look, um, Ari, thank you so much. I, I'll, um, I won't over, overdo our time and we don't want to overrun because we'll, uh, we don't, we don't want to eat into sort of too much podcast additional time. Um, I think 40, 45 minutes is, is the magic bullet time that the, the data tells us. Um, but look, I, I did want to ask you what's, what's next for 2022. Um, is there any kind of, uh, sort of significant um, updates or integrations or anything that's coming up on the horizon that we should be aware of and look out for? So quite significant uh, team growth. So we, we already have uh, addition in the technology team, the commercial team, the year ahead, lots of exciting new things. And the thing that I'll finish with will finally come out with our first product to be able to start to get to on the right intangibles. And we are super excited about that. More about that in 2022. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, that's a lovely way to end it. Omi, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you doing this. And um, yeah, thanks for being a great guest. Thank you very much, Alex. Appreciate it. Cheers.
As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.